You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. What is up, everyone? Welcome to today's episode of the Tone Mob Podcast. This one is a lot of fun. It's a little bit strange, though. It's almost a part two, even though it's the first time Greg has came on this show. I spoke with him along with Mr. Wampler and Mr. Oliver on the Chasing Tone podcast just the week prior. So if you haven't heard that one yet, you might want to slide over and listen to that one before you listen to this one, because this is like a somewhat of a continuation of that podcast with just Greg and myself. You don't have to, though. This can totally stand on its own as an episode. We don't really talk about gear that much, though. We talk about more just living the life of a musician and content creator, and it was it was a really enjoyable chat. That said, if you are a subscriber to any of the premium content, whether that is directly on Apple Podcasts or over on Patreon, we get quite gear nerdy in that section of the episode. So just a, just a little plug, if you'd like to support the show, that is the best place to do it. For five bucks a month, you're going to get extra content delivered to your ears every week. And occasionally, those, those episodes can go really deep and really long. In fact, the one I did with Kevin Dye from Gates, which if you haven't heard the main episode for that, it's really good. Go check it out. We actually spent another like two and a half hours or two hours and 15 minutes, something like that, exclusively for the supporters of the show. So just a quick little plug for that. If you can support the show, I would really, really appreciate it. And I try to crank out as much content as I can for those folks. So there you go. If you want to go to patreon.com slash tone mob or just click subscribe in the Apple podcast app, that helps out immensely. Okay, let me stop talking so I can start talking with Mr. Greg Cock. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have somebody that's long overdue, as so many guests are, Mr. Greg Cock. What's going on, dude? Not much. How you doing? Thanks for having me. You know, uh, we had so much fun on Chasing Tone, I figured, you know, why not do it the one-on-one style? Let's see what kind of chaos we can create. I can dig it, and I'm prepared. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm normally for I, chaos oh well that's what we're here for that's what we do so normally i haven't had you know we kind of we actually interviewed you in a way over there that we don't normally do on that show normally it's it's a i mean it was pretty loosey-goosey but we really did dive into your story in a way that we haven't with a lot of chasing tone guests because we don't do guests normally so usually i would start by asking you know what the deal is with you but i feel like maybe we just need to <laughs> Hit the ground running and see where it goes. All right, I'm in. I'm in. Cool. Start so, where you will. All right. So for people who have not heard of Greg, which if you're listening to this podcast seems somewhat unlikely, uh, go check out the last the last Chasing Tone podcast and we dive into his story. You can consider this a continuation of the glorious conversation that we were having over there. Oh, I like so, what you did there. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. So, Greg, we talked a lot about you know, your story and how you got into what you were doing on that. But 
what I want to know is like, what do you see the future of all this stuff being? You, you were, as Brian mentioned, one of the original content creators, uh, in the guitar space for the interwebs. Yes. And where, where do you see this thing going? Uh, for me personally or in general? Both. How about? Okay. Um, well, you know, it's kind of a strange time in terms of a uh, strange good way for um, for people who are doing things online that have affiliations with music manufacturers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just manufacturers per se, but, you know, instructional content, things of this nature. And that leads into, uh, of course, you know, people... Um, being interested in those individuals who are doing the aforementioned activities into their music as well. Uh, but the um, the cost-benefit analysis is a little bit more conducive to the first two scenarios. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, and there seems to be a lot more willingness uh, for the average individual to really embrace someone from a... Uh, from kind of a enjoying their their playing, but having to do with gear and instructional things as opposed to just strictly as an artist, right? So I think that in this day and age, you know, especially with, you know, going into, <laughs> as we all recall, going into, you know, the COVID lockdowns and so on and so forth. Prior to that, there was all kinds of heated discussions on the intergoogle of people saying, is the guitar dead? Oh, Lord, have mercy. Maybe the time of the guitar <laughs> has come and gone. And now we're in a situation where they can't make them fast enough, you know, of every permutation. Um, so I mm-hmm. think that the desire to play or the desire to be in the club of of guitar players is certainly there in terms of wanting all the accessorization. Accessori- accessorizing? Accessorization. I'm going to go yes. with that one. It's not a word. I like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, so I, I see it as being... Something that as long as this um, this wave keeps going, um, which is impossible to estimate how long that is, you know, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, financial stability of at some point, you know, when, you know, you, you talk to various prognosticators about the economy and inflation and is it transitory inflation? Is is this thing in Evergrande going to permutate in China over to some giant like 2007, 2008, you know, style international financial crisis? In lieu of all that, there right. seems to be enough uh, disposable income for the individuals that embrace guitar playing to kind of let this wave ride for a while. Um, that being said, for me personally, I, I've tried, um, well, I shouldn't say I've tried, I've just been fortunate enough to be involved with a bunch of different scenarios where I don't have to lean on anyone that hard. And all of them have, have turned out to be, um, respectable. Um, not only are they fun for me to do, and I can keep an, a level of our, you know, artistic integrity involved, but I also get paid pretty well as well. Um, so as a result, I see that going forth in the future. For me, I, I think I'm going to be in a situation where uh, I can pick and choose a lot more in terms of what road stuff I want to do and what I don't want to do. I mm-hmm. think before, even though the road stuff was always a part of what I did, um, you know, and I mean by road stuff, everything from playing to you know, going and doing videos at Wildwood and going to do clinics for whoever it might be. Fishman or 
um, you know, reverent at this point and so on and so forth. I'm still game to doing that stuff if it all makes sense. And, but before it was like, I'd say yes to everything because that's just the mindset you have. You know what right. I mean? Oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do oh, this tour is coming up. I got to do that and try to fill it in. And, and you just realize after you haven't had to do that for now going on a couple of years, you're kind of like, you know, I have little, it's weird. I go into an airport and all of a sudden it all starts rushing back to me. And, and you're like, I don't miss this aspect of right. <laughs> at all. Yeah. And uh, so I think for me, it's just, you know, I, I, you know, I'm getting to the point where I, I just want to concentrate on playing more, you know, even though I have always played and in terms of doing my own music and doing gigs and so on and so forth. Uh, I'm just interested in flushing out that side of things, you know, even more so and uh, and doing things that are fun to do instead of things that I think I have to do. You know what I mean? Totally. Totally. So like part of the reason I never saw myself being in the music industry in a real way, which oddly I've come to terms with the fact that I am now, which is still bizarre to even say, I I just knew I didn't want to tour. I, I knew for a fact, I first of all, I hate road trips. I hate them. I just want to get to the place and do the thing. <laughs> I'm weird with that. My whole family thinks I'm strange. I've never liked road trips. I just never have. And I knew that beyond that, I mean, that's like just the base level. Like, it's just hard. Even if you do like road trips, it's not a road trip. It's hard. You're eating gas station food and like doing all this sleeping in the van. I was, I was just like, ah, I'm not tough enough for that. Like, I don't have, yep. I don't, I didn't have that desire in me. I love making music. I love recording. I love the gear. I love all of that stuff. I love it very passionately. But I was like, well, everyone says you have to tour to, to be a somebody in the music industry. So I'm, I guess that's just not in the cards for me. So the, the whole online thing, once I started seeing, I was like, well, Andy Martin's doing this. And he's like, well, they're just like, they, this is their job. This is what they do. And they're making music. How right. cool is that? And I stumbled into this thing. I wanted to, I definitely had an intention to try to make it a career, but I didn't really know what shape that was going to take or what it was going to look like, or even if it was possible. And I just fortunately got right on that you know, that early-ish wave, you know, it was about 2015 or so. It's not that early, but it was, you know, a little earlier than some uh, of doing content stuff. Right. And so, yeah, I feel really fortunate to be able to, like you said, not show up at airports when I don't want to, <laughs> for, for the yes. most part, for the most part. Uh, well, yeah, to your point, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, pe there's a lot of romanticism about the road, you know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and, and I always say it not in an egotistical way, but, you know, I'm, I'm good at the road, meaning I know how to make all the arrangements. I know how to, you know, do all the various different things you need to do as a band leader to corral people and make arrangements and make sure people get on time and, and all of that other kind of stuff. And when you're in the midst of it, um, you don't really kind of take stock of uh, the toll it is having on you psychologically, <laughs> right. you know, when, when you've got to have all these plates in the air, you know, or you, and so when it stops and you're like, oh, and then you're realizing, well, the sky didn't fall because I didn't do X, Y, and Z. I'm enjoying all the different things I get to do and so on and so forth. And then when you just start to dip your toe into that world again, you're kind of like, Oh, Jesus, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so, I know that's not the case for everybody. Some people are kind of addicted to it. Like they love 
doing that even the grimy parts it seems uh they just can't wait to get back out on the road or at least that's the attitude they project and i don't fully understand that but i appreciate it because i love live music so i'm glad that there are people who will come to me and play a show for me i love it exactly you know i think that you know there's a lot of different ways of obviously doing the road i mean i've never had i mean i've never toured on a tour bus i mean every tour i've done has been my own band down and dirty on in a sprinter with a cab on it you know something like that um you know certainly nothing with bunks i think the only time i actually rode on a tour bus was when uh i did some shows with joe bonamassa years ago and we were opening up for him and he and he let me ride on the bus you know for a couple of days and uh, but other than that I mean, it's, but you know, the advantage of that is, is that, you know, there's a certain amount of freedom that goes with, with touring like that in terms mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, we got to see a little bit more of the cities that we wanted to see, you know, we'd get to our different places and we'd have time, downtime to, you know, if we're in Europe to go see some cool stuff or, you know, stop various different places. And you, you had a bit of freedom. The downside was in those, those kind of down and dirty situations is that, you know, just the nature of kind of you know, this, le that level of touring is that, you know, it, it, nothing was real kind of logical in terms of how things were laid out. So you had to fill dates wherever you could. So there'd be times where we'd be playing in one part of Germany and you'd play there and then you'd drive eight hours to do another gig the next day only to drive nine hours back to an hour away from where you were the day before. You know what I mean? Right. Because that's just the way it turns out. You need a place to, that's going to pay you, it's going to put you up, that's going to feed you, and all that other kind of stuff. Um, and again, when you're in the midst of it, you're just down and dirty, like, hooray, castles, you know, sh <laughs> <laughs> schnocked plots, you know what I mean? Whatever. <laughs> back arise, good times. And uh, But when it ceases, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> right 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 do you, do you ever see yourself really going for it in the van again or are you kind of just over it at this point oh no well we definitely will i mean i i did cancel this europe trip that we had in november here uh simply because there, there was just too much stuff up in the air and other people are just going for broke but you know me nor the guys in the band have had covid yet um that we know of and um and even though we're all vaxxed up and all that kind of good stuff, I mean, there's breakthrough cases. My sister had a breakthrough case and got sick as a dog. Um, and then there's the whole aspect of, okay, well, I'm over in Europe. What if one of us gets it and now we've got to be quarantined for 12 days? Well, who's going to pay for that? You know what I mean? I'm going right. to stay in a hotel. You know, what, do we, can't play gigs. You know, so now granted, none of those things could have happened, but it might have happened. So if you don't have to do it, why would you do it? Right. So, right. And, and everyone understood. I mean, I was dealing with three different people over there. One of the, this guy of this particular festival in, in Poland, he was like, why now after all these negotiations? Cause it was, it was way more labor intensive. You know, it's another thing weird too, is when you deal with, you deal with, um, well, there's a certain mentality that promoters, not all of them, but certain people have that musicians are desperate to do stuff. And so they put forward oh, okay. scenarios like, oh, can we get you for this? And can we get you for that? And, you know, I really can't afford this. And I'm in a situation where, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I, I'm not desperate to, to do any of the number of different things. And I just simply look at it from a point of view of I can make that without leaving my house. Why, why do I want to, you know, get on a dodgy airplane, go to the middle of nowhere, 
wonder what kind of gear you're going to have for me. Maybe get sick with some pestilence and maybe get, you know, whatever the case may be. So this one guy, uh, you know, I said, yeah, we're, we're not going to, we decided against it because everything, are we, well, what are you basing this on? I did, like a <laughs> I did like a screenshot of all these like you know, articles that were out in the last 24 hours of when I had, you know, when this was going down, which talked about, you know, the Delta variant and all these different things happening. I go, oh, you know, this, this is what I'm basing it on. Um, right. So, you know. Whether that guy will book us again or not, I have no idea. But at this point, it's like, okay, oh, oh well. You yeah. know what I mean? No, I totally get it. I understand. And I also understand both sides. I understand why people are just going for it. Yeah. Uh, and I also understand why people are being reserved. And I don't know why that isn't, uh, for some people, that isn't an okay position to have. <laughs> like it's, right. It's, I'm like, no, I get it. I get both. I understand both sides. I understand both sides too. Yeah. I mean, if you got to go out there and do it and, and you're taking all the safety precautions and are prepared for all the eventualities and you're going to, you know, especially again, cause I'm fortunate because I, I, I was set up pre pandemic to be able to ride it out with stuff that I could do from, uh, on, you know, online and so on and so forth. So, mm -hmm. Um, uh, I was in a, you know, a rarefied situation, which I was grateful for, but you know, if you were somebody that absolutely had to go on the road to make money, man, it's, it's pretty terrifying. The unfortunate thing. And I've talked about this with a lot of people on this show. The, the real unfortunate thing about touring in particular is the narrative that's been pushed for basically since, you know, Napster is that touring is the only way musicians make money. You got a tour. It's the only way to make money is to go on tour. And the sad reality of that is a lot of tours lose money. You know, they do. They just, it's, it's, it's just reality. Yes, you can make money. Yes, it is a thing to do and it is a way to do it, but it's just kind of difficult in general, uh, all around to try to make a full-time living playing music. And it's not that it can't be done. It's just that it takes a lot of determination to do so. And touring is not a, all right, we're good now because we're back on tour. It's like, uh, maybe. Right. <laughs> like, well, especially now that you can't, you know, possibly play at venues that are filled to, you know, 100%. And, um, you know, we're doing a gig in, in February uh, down in Chicago. And the place was like, well, we would prefer if you would do a proof of vax or negative COVID test to get in. And I said, well, yeah, absolutely. Because as the venue's asking, it's like, who are we to say, well, we're going to expose all of your work people that are working for you to the possibility of, you know, and people can argue left, right, and center about this, that, and the next thing. But the bottom line is people are getting sick because they're getting exposed to stuff. And if the least you can do is make sure that someone's at least mitigated the severity of their illness or can, can prove, you know, in terms of, you know, having... Um, uh, you know, being vaxxed or proving that they've, you know, have a negative test in the last 24 hours, that's the least you can do. But that means there are going to be people who are fanatical about that. It's like, I'm not going no matter what. So you have to, you have to figure because of the fact that, well, there's going to be people that don't want to go just because they're scared of getting it. And then there's gonna be people that are pissed off that there's any kind of mandate that says that they got to have, you know, one or the other. So the possibility of playing at rooms that aren't filled to capacity is, is pretty realistic, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. So, and for people that absolutely have to get a number of different people into a place in order to make sure they're making their dough, you know, right before COVID, we had finally started touring a lot with the trio I have with my son and Toby on the organ. And we got a good agent um, who'd been representing us from down in Austin. 
and uh, it was going great. But, you know, it was a lot of work. We were making money, uh, but, you know, we're making money because it's the three of us in a van, right? Right. And, <laughs> right. and uh, it's three of us in a van and we show up and, um, you know, for us, if we get 50 to 100 people in a place, you know, that's in the middle of nowhere, that the only the only advertising that's going on really is what we're doing online. But if that amount of money is significant uh, that they need to get in, you know, if the, if the ticket prices are right, and then I bring a boatload of merch, you know, so people buy these freaking hats that I wear like it's going out of style. So there's hats. There's my Gristle King pedals. There's, of course, the entire catalog of music. There's all my instructional materials. Then there's various different T-shirts. You know what I mean? So I got all of these different things that I can sell, uh, which people are more interested in a lot of the times than the CDs. They want to have <laughs> the hats. You know, they want to have all this other different stuff. Um, so that means I got to get there. And uh, we set up to do the sound check. I set up the merch table. I got it all ready to go. Before the gig starts, if there's an opening band, I'm at the merch table, you know, shaking hands, you know, selling the stuff. You know, I'm the one that has the little thingamabob on my PayPal thingamabob on my phone <laughs> to be able to charge people's cards and whatnot. And uh, and then I was like, okay, well, I just got done doing that for about an hour. Now it's time to play. So then I go up and, you know, play the gig. It's a lot of fun. You're doing the do. You get done playing. Well, I don't have a chance to relax. I got to go back to that freaking merch table and hawk stuff. And uh, so there I am. You know, doing the do. And of course, it's very gratifying. People, you know, oh, it was a great show. I really liked it. You know, can I get this and this? And no problem. That's all part of the gig. I love it. It's fun. So I get done doing that. Well, now I got to pack up all of that crap. So and I pack up all the stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I got to go and get my gear. So people are wondering, <laughs> man, he, he only plays with a guitar and a chord. Isn't that cool? It's like, yeah, because it's less stuff I have to pack up. Man. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I roll up that one cord and put it in my amp that does everything I need and out the door we go. And then we pack up. And then, of course, it's, you know, put on the, where was that hotel again? You know, and put it in the thing and then get back. And then inevitably someone's hungry in the vehicle because we all eat like it's, you know, there's food to, uh, <laughs> there's always hunger going on. I understand. So, and then the next day, you know, you do it all over again. So, again, it's fun. It's gratifying. You're playing your own music. You know, we can show up damn near anywhere. But the, the thing that I was going to say is that, you know, we make decent amount of money from the, from the door. And most of these, you know, at this point, it's some guarantee versus the door. And, um, but the money was okay from the gig, but the money for the merch was, if not as much more than the gig. So we were actually making good dough, uh, but it's a lot of work, right? Mm -hmm. It's all that's, you know, and you're going day after day doing that stuff. Because you got, you have to, because one day down is hotel rooms, food. And as we just discussed, the food thing for the three of us could be <laughs> very expensive. A little yeah. Robust. Well, you know, uh, you're a high performance machine and you require a lot of fuel. That's just, well, all that's it. it. That's all you got to eat. I'm I six, seven. So is yeah. my son. So we, we have to eat. Yeah. What's, I don't know what my excuse is. So I'm like a foot shorter, but, uh, <laughs> so, you know, I'll find one. I'll find one. <clears throat> But so, that being said, all that stuff is fun, mm -hmm. um, but it is, you know, it's a lot. And, mm -hmm. and then putting all those things together, it's, you know, there, there's all of the stuff going into the tour. Now, granted, you know, when you're talking about, you know, a, a next rung up, right? So you got people that are a little bit more robust in terms of their followings and so on and so forth. So they're going out with a tour bus and, and so on and so forth. They've got roadies, a couple roadies, you know, whatever the case may be, a bus driver, whatnot. 
Um, well, then they have to have all of those people on paper. So they have to work X amount just to keep all those people, you know, in a certain amount of dough, right? So there's there's a trap there as well. For us, it's like we make pretty good dough, uh, but it's a lot of work. But there's so much work on the front end of that as well. There's, are we promoting it accordingly? Hey, you know, I've tried to get a hold of so-and-so from this place. Can you get a hold of him? Well, he's a friend of Greg's. So, you know, so then I gotta, I've got to have my hands on all of it. You know what I mean? Right. And um, that's, I kind of have a little expression that I like to use. If you want something done right, don't do it at all. <laughs> because there's just, you know, you got to have your hands on everything. Uh, the, the upside of that is, is that, you know, you're in, you're in control and that you don't need that many extra people to have to pay. And so therefore, you know, you're, you know, there's a pressure when you have to, when you have that many people's livelihoods riding on what you do, you know, there's pressure, right? So, oh, yeah. um, yeah, so it's just, it just kind of is what it is. But having said that being home here and being able to do that from home, uh, it's sure going to be nice to be able to p- kind of pick and choose that stuff a little bit more and maybe map out a way to make, you know, a certain amount of shows here and there be very profitable for everybody and um, and be able to share them with as many people as possible without having to say, okay, I'm going to go out on the road for X amount of days of the year again, you know, just so just so I can say I'm a road dog. Well, I'm 55 <laughs> years old, okay? I've been on the road 125 to 150 days a year. Uh, which some people, yeah, that's nothing. So-and-so's been on the road. Yeah, well, good for them. I also have four kids and I'm married and I've managed to maintain all that stuff. So, <laughs> um, so, and that's been going on for decades. So it's nice to be able to kind of pause, reevaluate and just say, okay, well, what's, what's the best way to, to use time in a way that's is efficacious for all involved? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Can you dig it? I can dig it. I can dig all right. it. So. Oh, well, you, you brought this up uh, on Chasing Tone and you brought, just brought it up here uh, again about the buying of the various merch items versus the CDs. And I, I want to note something about that just from my personal uh, ways that I try to support artists that I like. Right. So I don't really buy CDs anymore either. I'm I'm a vinyl guy, and I but I also understand why that's not really feasible for a lot of people to do because I'm right. in the middle of dealing with that chaos myself. Yeah, uh, I love buying vinyl when I can because mostly just to have it. I listen to it, but mostly just to have it and to yeah, support. It's cool. Yeah, it's just cool. I just like it, uh, and largely my consumption of the music comes from however they put it out digitally. Right. But when I go to a show, I'm kind of this weird guy where. I, I love having something else. I would be the guy that bought the hat, you know, like, right. uh, oh, I'd, actually, I'd be the guy that bought the pedal at your show. That's just not everybody has pedals. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I always buy, in fact, the last show I went to, I bought a hat, actually, you know, like that. I always buy the other things just because I've sure. either bought the record be- before I was there in the first place on vinyl but mostly because I don't have anywhere to listen to a CD uh, conveniently. Uh, <laughs> I have one vehicle that has a CD player. Right. But, but uh, I get it's, it. just, it's just the weird world that we've uh, we've lived in. And uh, it's and that it happened is, fast, didn't it? It happened really fast. It was like CDs were the thing. The, the thing. Right. And now they're just like, oh, yeah, people still listen to us? What? What's right. going on here? But What's the a thi- CD? <laughs> but the thing about CDs that everybody forgets is... They sound great. They're yeah. like having wave files. I mean, they are having wave files 
Right. Like you, the, you are just hearing it as pristine as you possibly can in a digital format. And right. We, some of that is lost. Uh, it, I think most people can't hear it. And and admittedly, if if I hadn't a beat it, I don't know that I would most of the time either. But right. You know, it's it's a it's a weird weird world. How you you were in it deep from the time that that was the main way to to, to sell your music to now yep. where everything's streamed. Did you see that transition coming? Were you prepared for it? Or how did that play out for you? Well, um, the our first release that we did in 1990 with my band, uh, we did on cassette, yeah. right? So Which are we becoming would, cool again, by we, the way. Right, which is so <laughs> bizarre to me. But, um, and so we would have a, uh, we'd have a DAT machine and then it would go into two different uh, TAC double cassette decks. And we'd, we'd dub four at a time. And then my wife was a graphic designer. So we'd go to Kinko's and print out X amount of the, the covers. And we'd have to cut them out with an X-Acto knife. And we'd sign each one of the cassettes. And so, okay, how many gigs we got this week? Oh, so we had to figure out how many tapes we were going to bring and all that kind of stuff. So when we finally did our first CD, it was in... Um, it was in 93, I think, 1993. Um, and we sold a lot of them. I mean, you know, for, I mean, we were a regional act at that point. Um, but we sold a lot of CDs and, um, and it was like, okay, this is great. So let's get, you know, let's put on another one. So, you know, the, the second one, it was kind of a weird transition for me because it was, uh, the first CD was definitely more vocal oriented, you know, uh, we all sang in the band. The drummer had a great, great voice, and I did my kind of more of my bluesy uh, singing. And uh, but it was definitely a more vocal oriented thing. But by that time, the the Fender folks had kind of knocked on my door and like, yeah, the CD is great. We really dig it. But you know, man, if we had something that featured your guitar playing more, we could really kind of use you more. And I didn't really know what that meant other than the fact that all of my activities to try to promote my band beyond the borders of Wisconsin. Uh, were met with indifference. And I think a lot of that was from, you know, just people want to put you in, in a, um, in a box from the get go, right. They want to say, Oh, this is the blues band. This is a rock and roll band. This is an alternative band, or this is the, and we didn't, we didn't fit into any one category. And plus we weren't show horses. So it's not like we had, we were presenting some vibe, you know what I mean? Right. I mean we were we were to the extent that we all had long hair and ponytails and, you know, but we all wore glasses, you know, we, at that time, you know, the early nineties, you know, the Allman brothers were making their comeback with Warren Haynes and Alan Woody and stuff like that. And we're like, yeah, these guys don't care. They wear t-shirts. They got their long hair. They're playing. It doesn't matter. We're so cool. It doesn't matter how we look. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And, um, and so we, you know, we just, I remember getting hooked up with a buddy of mine who had a lot of, uh, connections in the in the industry as it were and he knew somebody at one of the big labels and he said told him about our band and our you know all, everything we had going and he was like um well, well how old are they and what do they look like you know was basically <laughs> and so that was right. what i was up against right right and all of a sudden fender comes across and i and i had seen what they'd done with various different artists in the past at that particular point in time and how much they were you know they had it, if if you know, they promoted these people, they provided a level of suspension of disbelief, you know? So I was like, maybe that would be a good, a good way to go. So I recorded this record called Strat's Got Your Tongue, which was all instrumental stuff. 
And uh, so this is like 94. And I put that out. And that was huge from the point of view of helping with the Fender thing. So that was, you know, that helped me get more in cahoots with them in terms of doing workshops. And they had us play at a couple of big shows during NAMM shows and whatnot and all this other kind of stuff. But it really kind of limited the career even more because now like, well, not only can we not put it in a in a box, it's freaking instrumental music, right? right. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> All right. So then we kept up. But but what I noticed that is that I could put out a record and um, I could pay for it being made and uh, pay the guys in the band and then, um, you know, be paid off pretty soon. So I, I was in the black pretty much right after that. And it wasn't a huge amount of money, but at least I was paying everything off. Yeah. And I wasn't in debt. And I was like, well, this is cool. This is another aspect of my income. Um, and fast forward now to 2001, I finally get signed with, you know, Steve Vai's Favored Nations Records, right? And he wants to do kind of a compilation thing. So at that point, I had maybe six, seven records out of my own. So we did kind of a compilation thing. We cherry picked all the different stuff from the records, plus added some new material and put that out. And then I realized very quickly, oh, when you have a record deal, you don't make any money. <laughs> unless, <laughs> unless you get something from the downstroke, uh, which we didn't. You know, I, I was green. I was a greenhorn. I was like, oh, favorite nations, meaning we split everything 50-50. So if there's not, you know, this stuff's already been recorded. So let's just put it out and share the bounty. Little did I know it was, it was the same thing as it ever was. You know what I mean? It's right. like, here are these insurmountable expenses that you'll never overcome. And thank you very much. Pay $8 a piece for the CDs you want to sell at gigs. I'm like, great. You know, mm -hmm. so um, I realized that it was good for um, for marketing purposes. You know, they they had me on. I got a full page or um, like three or four page um, feature in Guitar Player magazine. I was on the cover of some Italian magazine. Every guitar magazine on earth kind of climbed on board. Um, so that was good from that aspect of things. But what I realized is that, you know, the CD thing was not where I was making my dough. Right. Um, and then the next thing was I got signed with this label in in Europe, uh, Provogue, Mascot Provogue, which is, you know, Bottomas has been distributed by them for years. And, and uh, you know, Walter Trout. Now everyone, literally every guitar person on earth has had a record out on that label. But what that was really good for is that they hooked me up with an agent and provided uh, the initial tour support and booked us at stuff um, uh, in Europe. And that was kind of my foot in the door to like do all that, all that kind of stuff. But about three years later, I started doing everything on my own again and started making more money. So my point is, is that all the digital stuff in terms of when it came and people were like, Oh no, I'll never make any money. It's like, I never made any money. You know, <laughs> I never made any money from that. Right. And, um, it was always just like advertising for what I did. You know what I mean? There were people that would buy it's, it was always very frustrating. Um, and, and part of it, I would always think of my, well, I didn't promote, you know, I, and I'm not, I'm not the best, you know, people might disagree. Oh, you're so great at promoting stuff. It's like, no, I love making the music. I love assembling it. I love producing it, getting the artwork done, all that kind of stuff. I freaking loathe, but my wife does it. And, you know, we get it all together. We make sure everything's in. We sign off on it. We do a pre-sale. We sell a bunch of it, but then you've got to promote it and you've got to, and if, unless you hire a, um, um, press person, which I don't like doing because they always, they're always like, Hey, who do you know again? 
<laughs> right. Like, That's what I'm asking you for. Right. So they might know some ancillary, <laughs> you know, website, you know, that will do a write up on some website. All the juicy stuff or the context I already have. Uh, so anyway, so the point is, is that that whole aspect of like really pushing a record and doing all the things, you know, and you can hire a, uh, a marketing person or a PR person. And all of a sudden, you know, you'll be number one on the blues charts, which means absolutely nothing. You know what I mean? It's like all of these different things that people do to, oh my God, so-and-so's this. And so it's like, it's like, no, they're not making anything. I mean, I, I could be wrong in some instances, but I know personally people that are like, yeah, I was number one on the blues charts. Didn't do anything. And I was like, uh-huh. Okay. So for me, the whole aspect of, you know, the digital stuff. And then people are like, oh, you don't, you make pennies on the dollar now for this, that, and the next thing. I will say this, is that for years I had various different, um, I always had different names for my different bands because I'm an idiot, really, if you want to come down to it. But, <laughs> you know, I always wanted to, well, if people know it's Greg Cock and the Tone Controls, they'll know it's this lineup and kind of this recipe of tunes. If it's just Greg Cock Trio, then it's, no, it's me and two other guys and anything goes. If it's Greg Cock Band, it's this thing I did with this other group of guys. And then it's Cock Marshall Trio. Well, that's my son on drums and Toby on the organ. Um, and Greg Cock, another bad band. Well, that's me and Malford Milligan and Roscoe Beck. So you fast forward to the digital age. Well, now you, you want as many Spotify followers or at whatever whatever format you're listening to. But on Spotify particularly, you want as many followers and monthly listeners as you can possibly get. Well, now there's separated monthly listeners for all of those different entities. Right. Right. So, so I don't have a lot of any one per se because they're all broken apart. So then I had this buddy of mine who's like, listen. I will take care of all this stuff for you. We'll re-release everything just under Greg Cox. So then I had to, you know, get the rights back from a couple of different labels on particular uh, albums of mine, get them all kind of, you know, new numbers and the whole nine yards, reintroduce them. But then the net or um, uh, CD Baby would, would or Spotify would spit the stuff back saying, yeah, we can't put this under just his name because on the cover, it says, you know, Greg Cox and the. So then my wife had to go in and redo artwork oh, for all of those releases oh, so that we could put it under just one name. So we've done that now. The only the only records that are kind of uh, in limbo that are on their own are the Cock Marshall Trio records, which are just painfully neglected because you can't search under my name and find those for whatever reason. Right. You know. But anyway, my point is that once I did put all of those records under one thing and I've been telling people, hey please follow us on Spotify and I'll throw it in at the end of a live stream or whatever else like that. Or I'll print some, or I'll put like a little tune on, um, on uh, Instagram or something like this and say, Hey, this is from this record of this, this new compilation I just came out with. And, and so all of a sudden now I'm seeing some decent money monthly from CD baby from all the different formats. And again, I'm like, well, this is certainly better than I ever right. <laughs> made when I had a record deal. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> So uh, that was kind of a long-winded answer, but uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what's happening with all that stuff. So to me, it's I'm finally getting my mind around being able to, you know. Plus, the other thing is, and, and again, I mean, I understand this, so it's not like me whining. Uh, but to me, I mean, there, there's a real difference in the way that maybe we were when we were younger, when we were uh, searching an artist. I mean, if I found someone that. I really liked, you know what I mean? I heard a song or someone mentioned, you know, so-and-so mentioned this guy and you check him out. You're like, man, what's this person all about? Well, you'd do the deep dive, man. You'd figure out, you know, 
who did this guy listen to? Where did he come from? What are his records? Who did he play with? You know, you do all that different stuff. And to me, it's just so wild that we live in an age where all of that stuff is in your hands on your phone. You have access to all this information. And so many times I'll see people, I'm not saying that there aren't still people that do the deep dive, but I do see a number of these questions that makes me really scratch my head. It's like, wow, do you have any records out of your own material? You know, I'm like, what? What what have, what have the last 30 years of my life been for? <laughs> you know, and, and you know, hey, I like that song. Is that sounds like so and so mentioning some artist that came out way after my stuff was already done. You know what I mean? Right. And just like I mean, and again, I'm not real. I don't get real bent out of shape if somebody says, "Oh, you sound like so and so," and it's. I mean, because to me, the idea of proprietary licks or music is is stupid. I mean, even if someone, I mean, if someone steals you completely verbatim, that's one thing, you know. But if someone listens to what you did and you know appropriates it into their own style, and people recognize that, and that's all well and good. I mean, good for them. You know what I mean? Uh, but by the same token, for the love of God, people, do a little homework. <laughs> If, if you're into it, you know what I mean? It's like, if you're into music, the homework's the funnest part. You know what I mean? It's like, where did this person get this from? And where were they before that? Because that will lead everyone on their own journey and so on and so forth. Totally. Yeah, it's, it is, I think you, you, you didn't say it specifically, but you did touch on something that has been kind of reoccurring on this when it comes to recording music and putting things out there and whatever, and record labels specifically. It's like you you got to maintain ownership of that stuff. And it's still yes. so crazy to me. I mean, we all know that Elvis got hosed by his manager. We all know that like the music industry is riddled with people trying to dip their toes into whatever artist pool, you know, and take a chunk of what they're doing. Yeah. And it is astonishing to me how many people still like fall into that trap. Even though we all know it, we have all we've all heard these stories forever, and that still so many people right. don't don't end up owning their stuff. Uh, they get distracted by the advance and all that, and I'm just like I always right. I probably sound like a broken record. I'm always just like, own your stuff, some own your stuff. Don't get, don't let anybody take ownership of it. Please don't do it. Yeah, and 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 you you know usually if you're if you're dealing with a smaller enterprise. I mean, I've been very, very fortunate that I've dealt with enough, you know, different record company people and so on and so forth that were, were smaller. They weren't as predatory. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's always kind of understanding either this is going to work or it's not. You know what I mean? And, you know, working means, you know, you don't make squat, but, you know, at least you get a decent advance. And uh, that's probably all the money you're going to see of it, other than the fact that they're going to help you promote it. And then you can buy product, hopefully at a reasonable price, and sell it at gigs. And you have the codification, if you will, of being on a label so that people are like, he signed. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> right. Um, and so when the thing ends, you know, you, you've been, neither of you have been too much of a pain in the other's ass so that you can, you can make some kind of amiable departure that doesn't involve the deployment of too many lawyers, you know, and that's the way I've always been. You know, I always find it so disturbing every time I've had a, you know, a bigger deal and you get a lawyer involved, you know, it's just, I mean, my dad was a lawyer, so I'm, I don't have like, I don't have intrinsic lawyer hate. Right. <laughs> uh, but to me, it's like one of those things you hire these guys to look at the contract. They point out all these things that you should pull out. 
and you mention them to the record label and they go, no. And then, (laughs) right. And then you're like, okay, well, I guess we're either not going to do this or we're going to do it. And then you, you know, you make sure that the, you know, and usually, as I said, if it's a, it's a, it's a label that you've dealt with before, all the things that are in there are not going to be, they know the red flag, horrible stuff that absolutely no one's going to sign off on anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hope so. And there's other things in there that are a little dicey and the lawyer points them out and you're like, yeah, but they're not going to take that out and whatever else. And then you signed a deal. And next thing you know, you're paying thousands of dollars for the lawyer who, who really did nothing other than tell you stuff you already knew. And, uh, and then away you go. And then, and then a couple of years go by and then the label says, yeah, even though it was a four record deal, we're, we're not going to take your next record. So what the whole thing's done. Yes, I guess. So, I mean, I guess I have, you know, you could go and get your lawyer and sick him back on again to say, Hey, what's going on with this? Didn't we have a thing? Well, you might as well just bolt and try to get your rights back from the first record and be done mm-hmm. with it. Right. And so everything I've had in the past it has been one of these things where I've maintained rights. The student, one of the the dumber deals I've done, you know, uh, it's just involving publishing. You know, it's like publishing is one of those things. I mean, I own all my own publishing. Um, there's a little on, on, on one of the deals I did, uh, but I'm in the process of getting that all back. But I did a deal with with uh, a buddy of mine, actually, locally. Um, and, and it's, you know, it turned out to be, it, it's a favorable thing for the most part, but there's an aspect of it that, you know, had, if I could do it over again, I'd probably adjust it in a different way and so on and so forth. But that's the thing that pe- people don't understand as much. And I still have a hard time with it. I mean, publishing is needlessly complicated. Of course. You know, they make it, a, well, there's writer's share and then there's, uh, you know, there's publishing share and it's 50% of the thing, but it's really 100%. And unless you're in BMI and then it's this, and then they don't see it as 100%, they see it 100%. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> just pay, just play my stuff and give me my money, right? <laughs> um, and and then and then you're always frustrated because you're like, I'm getting this, this ASCAP in, you know, play sheet and it's saying I'm making X amount of dough. I know that there are radio stations that have been playing my stuff. Well, they do these random surveys. I don't know if they can be random surveys anymore in, in a world of, you know, in a digital world, right? How can they be random surveys? So, um, you know, you know, Elton John or Lady Gaga or whatever, they're at the top of the list. You know what I mean? They're going to make sure that they know exactly how much their stuff is getting played. Of course. Uh, versus old Gregory Cockery from the Cheddar Curtain. He's a little bit farther down the list. <laughs> so uh, publishing has always been something that I find just absolutely fascinating. But So I've gotten all that stuff together and made sure that all my <clears throat> I's are dotted and T's are crossed and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. So... At this particular point in time, I'm just trying to corral that stuff as much as possible so that I have everything locked so that, you know, it can all eventually turn into significant uh, or at least uh, consequential spigots of money right? <laughs> as I go into my older years. That's, that's one thing that I've noticed from, you know, getting into this heavier and talking to different people who have actually made a career in music and that doesn't matter what area I'm talking about, whether it's the artist or the producer or the, the recording engineer or whatever, almost every single person has the spigots. There's very few that I've talked to that has like, Oh, I, I do this one thing. 
I only work at this one recording studio or I only run this one thing. I only do this one thing. Everyone's like, yeah, I, uh, I do recording engineering by day. Uh, and then I run sound over at this venue at night. Uh, and then I do, you know, I teach classes online about how to mic amps or like whatever it ha happens to be. It's always multiple things. And I'm seeing that more and more myself. It's always multiple things. So people, you know, you meet somebody that you've never talked to before. And of course, the, the, the conversation always turns to like, well, what do you do? And I'm like, what do I do? This is a, this is going to be a very long, unnecessarily complicated answer to your question. If I really want you to understand what I do, uh, and uh, you probably still won't understand it anyway at the end of the day, which is uh, <laughs> kind of funny. At least you can say, "Oh, I'm a guitar player." I I I, right. I, I never know what to say. I, I so I usually say I'm a podcaster if they look about my age. <laughs> That's what I usually ah, say. Ah, there you go. No, no. <laughs> yeah. It's been odd. I mean, over the years, I mean, to, to your point, it's like, you know, I, I've, uh, I live in the town where I grew up. Um, you know, I've lived elsewhere, but when we started, when, we, when my wife and I got married, we were having, you're going to have our first child. I knew the schools around here were great. And, you know, it was like the wonder years. So we ended up moving back to this suburb of Milwaukee where I grew up. And, um, but even though my band's been popular in the area and I've had, you know, I've, I've got to say, I've, I've had some pretty decent press over the years in terms of, you know, I've been on the radio a ton in terms, I was a, a guest on a morning show all the time, uh, fairly decent coverage. And, on uh, we were the house band for the Brett Favre show at one point. And, you know, and I would interface, I was kind of like a Paul Schaefer type character that would interface with the, you know, the football players and the host and whatnot. And, um, you know, and would have decent coverage in the newspapers and whatnot. So it's not like I'm an unknown entity in my hometown. But that mm -hmm. being said, you know, growing, you know, with my kids growing up, me being on the playground, man, I had interface with people all the time. Had no idea what I did. Right. Uh, and they would always look with pity upon my wife, like, oh, her husband's a musician. She must do everything. And like I'm sitting on the couch <laughs> smoking weed all day. You know what I mean? <laughs> and um, and so it was always weird over the year. But then, you know, people always want to think the most uh practical side of you you know what That's i mean true. in terms yeah. of he, i think he's a sales guy for fender i'm like i'm not a sales guy for fender or you know he he's um he's a rep for fender i'm like well, no, that's not, that's not what I don't actually work for Fender. I'm just kind of, you know, I go out and I do stuff where I just play. I remember, I remember I got back to do a gig in town with a buddy of mine who was uh, quite a bit older than I am, but you know, a really excellent blues harmonica player. And I was doing a gig with him and I was playing and I had just gone, gotten back from a long road trip or whatever. He's like, man, your chops are really up. I'm like, well, what is it you think I do? <laughs> when I, you know what I mean? It's like, do they think I'm going into a place with like a pocket protector going, how many Stratocasters would you, you know what I mean? That they had, so it was like, they didn't know. And then I would be at sports games, you know, with, uh, you know, my kids, you know, playing basketball or whatnot. And someone would turn to me and go, <laughs> I never forget this one. I don't know if I told you this on the last one, but we were, uh, the guy turns around to me. He's like, uh, he's like, you know, I got a, I got a guy at work that plays bass. He's never heard of you. What? 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 <laughs> and so I was just, I was just, I was just so dumbfounded by the stupidity of his comment. I just said, well, "What freaking rock has he been hiding under?" And I, you know, it's, you know, not that he should know it, but why say that? You know, well, it's just so weird. And then I remember his wife, like a, a week or so later, I'm at a basketball game. She turns to me, "Where have your travels taken you to lately?" 
And I was like, well, I was just out in Colorado. I said, well, Colorado, what were you doing out there? I said, well, actually, I go out there every month. You know, one of the things I do is I, I do these guitar videos for this store out in Colorado. I play all the guitars and they film them and yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. Try to make it in terms that she could, you know, easily quantize and understand. And uh, she gives me this confused look on her face. She's like, why did they just hire somebody out there to do it? Uh, <laughs> Jeez, this is quite well, the couple. I, I suppose they could, <laughs> you know, but but they want me to do it. Oh man, it, it, it's so odd. And then I, my my favorite one, I, and I would get a little salty here and there. Now I'm just like, I just don't care because you know it's everything's worked out. I, I really can't, I can't complain. You know what I mean? But you know, when the kids were younger, and I'd be on these trips, and I would come back and you know, and do some crazy stuff. And, and, you know, and people would always be, you know, very sympathetic. And I understand my wife's back at home. She's fighting the battle of Wauwatosa, you know, the town that I live in here, mm -hmm. you know, I'm gone for a month, you know, overseas someplace, you know, doing this, doing that. I come back and remember I was on the playground one day and this one uh, gal says to me, she's like, you're a poor wife. I'm like, yeah, I know. I mean, it's <laughs> drag being around the kids over here. So, um, she's like, you know, when my husband would be too, gone for two weeks on a fishing trip, it was just hell. I go, really? Did he catch 10 grand while he was gone? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I'm going out there just having a good old time, you know, doing nothing. Doing nothing. You know, doing nothing for Team Cock, just well, kind of being a reprobate. Well, you're just a musician, you know, all musicians... All they do is just, like you said, lay on the couch and smoke weed. We know that's true, right? Of course. Uh, that's all we exactly. do. That's all we do all day long. I, We're the I, worst. <laughs> yeah, I did have a, <laughs> I had some smoke damage to my house here a few years ago. And so there were some people in and out and I knew a lot of them. I knew because uh, they're just friends of the family and stuff. And one of the guys helping manage the whole project you know, he saw me coming in and out of the shed like all day long, you know, uh, and he's just like, what are you doing in there? I'm like, well, I'm recording the podcast, um, you know, making content, whatever, it, you know, whatever it is. And he's like, some of us have real jobs. Oh, uh, yeah. there and, we go. And I said, um, yeah, I had one of those once. Kind of sucked. Ah. It kind of sucked. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They wish they could be self-employed. It was, but it was kind of like I know he was joking, but it was also kind of like, all right, buddy. Right. Okay. Yeah. Let's see you do it. You know. Exactly. Exactly. Not exactly to say correct. that. Not to say that I'm not extremely thankful and you know very blessed to be able to do these things. But it is still kind of like, okay. Well, I guess it just is that easy. It's just that easy, you know. There's no, there's no effort involved at all, <laughs> at all. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, you know. And it's and it's one of those things too, as you said. You're grateful to be able to do everything you get to do, and whether anybody else gets it or not should be of no consequence. But at the same time, every now and again, when somebody says something to you, like, do I do we do we really have to go through this again? <laughs> like, do, yeah. Do I need to like outline my day for you and explain what I'm doing every hour and why I was up till two in the morning the other night? You know, right. do I, like, do I need to explain that to you? Uh, you know, other thing, you know, weird little things will, will get me. And I, and I, I always try to not infer people's intentions when I, when I see their written comment online someplace, because they could mean something totally different. And I have to say, I've been extraordinarily 
thankful and gratified to know that 99% of the people that comment on any of my stuff are usually people who are just enjoying it. You know what I mean? They're not, right. they're not taking offense or taking, put, you know, putting a line in the sand about some damn thing. Uh, but I, I had fun. I got this weird pedal the other day, the, the um, Earthquaker Pyramid Stereo Flanger. Yeah. Flanger. Yeah. Flanging. And I put and I put on this one setting where it sounded like it was like an Atari game. So if I hit it too hard, we go. So I was doing this syncopated thing. I was howling. My wife and I were literally crying. We were laughing so hard when we were listening to this thing. And I posted it on the inner Google. And some guy goes, someone's got too much time on their hands. And I thought, if you had any idea <laughs> how little, <laughs> little spare time I have. And I, and I, but I didn't respond in a start. I just said, uh, well, truth be told, I don't have any spare time, but I do make time for lunacy, That's which, right. is, <laughs> which needs to be done. Absolutely. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing. Someone's got too much spare time. Literally I have none, but thanks for asking. Right. <laughs> yeah. You, you had enough time to leave that comment. So what does that say? exactly, you, you know, exactly. I, I, I'll admit, and I'm not the best at this. I definitely fail in this in this thing that I am about to say, but I genuinely try. When I see something that I don't like or annoys me, it happens all, constantly on the internet. Uh, unless it's on my own page, I, I try to respond to as many people as I can on my own stuff. But on something else, I just I don't like that. Scroll on by, right? Be yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't want to give that any more attention or time or help. Like if it's something like a piece of content I don't like, oh, I don't want it to. I don't want to help it by leaving a comment. Right, I and I I totally agree. Just go, just go away. Because you, you know? can tell the guys that are just desperately wanting to be responded to, mm -hmm. you know, and they'll they'll say something that's rather incendiary, and then I just don't respond, and then other people will respond, and then he'll just keep going, and you're like, see, that's all they want. They want to be able to be. The center of attention for a minute, no matter what it is, yep. and go on and on and on. And um, I, I, I had somebody, I can't remember what the deal was. They said something, um, I, it might have been something about the um, my first signature reverend. You know, he said some comment that I knew was incorrect. And I just responded to it in a really funny way. That's often the That's best. That's what I usually try to do. I'll respond yeah. and I'll respond with humor, you know. I'm getting my point across, but it's humor, so they have to laugh at it. But then he just kept on going, tried to be more funny than my and then I was gone. It's like, no, I'm that's all you get. That's and right. I'm out. You know what I mean? And then <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I leave I leave one your mama joke and then I'm gone. And that's it. Yeah. I'm exactly. I'm, I'm done. Exactly. Yep. Pretty much. Well, yeah, I will say, you know, congrats. A lot of people have the ability, you know, um, to to just be really good with interacting with people in all their different formats. I find it astounding, you know. And you see, you know, somebody who's who's they're, they're responding to everything on on Instagram, and then you go on YouTube, and they're responding to the people on YouTube, and they're on Facebook, and I I just can't do it. You know, I try to be as you know, if somebody asks like a real specific question. I'll try to get to those things on all the different formats, but it's like, it's hard enough for me to maintain some kind of sanity with all the different things going around here, not to mention all the family things that have to be done, uh, than to be online all diggity dog on day. So I, I do my best people. So if I don't respond to your thing, it's not that I think that my poop smells like potpourri, it's just that I'm trying to, you know, stay married and solvent. <laughs> right. <laughs>
which is very important because if he doesn't do either of those things, then you're not going to see him anymore. So that's correct. Yeah, that's right. So we're nearing the end of the podcast here, and I have a couple classic questions. You know what we did? This is, and this happens all the time. We managed to not talk about gear at all. That's just amazing. Uh, <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, but we will here in a moment. So I have a few classic questions uh, before we dive into the shows for those that support the show. And yes, and uh, these are kind of fun. But before I do that, this is your chance to take the stage. And, you know, give a shout out to Aunt Gertrude or say anything that you want to say to, you know, a few thousand people. This is your opportunity to do so. To say, hey, Aunt Gertrude. Yeah. Ger- I don't I don't really have any. Or, or you know, I have pl- an uncle. I have pl- an Uncle John. <laughs> shout out, Uncle John. <laughs> plug anything uh, you well, plug. I will say, you know, yeah. well, I do have that new uh, True Fire course that just came out because people, you know, I had Hal Leonard stuff out for years. and I still do. I got I actually have a, a book of transcriptions coming out with um, uh, Hal Leonard in about a month here. So uh, that is I think it's called the best of Greg Koch. Um, but I finally did my first True Fire thing. I've been talking to them for about 15 years. Uh, because they've been buddies, but I've always been kind of contractually obligated. Not anyway, it's just one of those things where it was not able to happen until just recently. So the first one just came out. So if people go to my website at just gregcock.com, you can find a link there to go to get the True Fire course. Uh, all the records are on there. You can go to all the different um, uh, uh, formats to listen to the music online. Um, there's, you know, you can get hats on there. You can get doggone, you know, pedals, you know, all the, the whole nine yards, all the different instructional books. And we are going to have a new record out with the Cock Marshall Trio, uh, before the end of the year. And I have another record I did with my old trio called Craig Cock and the Tone Controls. We did a live show that uh, was kind of like bootleg record recorded, but it was like left and right out of the board and then a stereo mic. But it sounds really cool. I'll probably put that out before the end of the year as well. Uh, and then if everyone just wants to check out the live streams, I do Mondays and Fridays for uh, Fishman. And that is at 4 o'clock. Uh, Central Time, and they can come to uh, my YouTube channel to watch it, which is just Greg Cock Music, or they can watch it on my Greg Cock Music Facebook page or go to Fishman. And uh, we're going to try to do like Acoustic Mondays. I do it with my son. And then on Friday, we do a trio with the bass player named Matt Turner and my son on drums. And that we just started doing, and people seem to really be enjoying that. And then I do two uh, Wildwood streams on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 3 p.m. Central. And that's just me playing whatever glorious guitars that Wildwood sends me that week. Uh, and I've been building up my own podcast at uh, Chewing the Gristle, uh, which, you know, we just shoot the breeze with guitar players and, you know, uh, chew the gristle, as it were. So been doing that. And then every other week or so, we, you know, like this week, tonight, we're doing a thing on this uh, together, T-G-T-H-R dot C-O. It's a cool interactive site where, you know, we perform and then I can bring people on the screen and talk with them and they can you know, interface with us and goes for about an hour. So we do that every other weekend. Uh, and we're doing that tonight. And then we do live streams with the the trio as well with the organ player with Toby. So we'll probably won't do another one of those until towards the end of um, December. So anyway, sorry, there you go. There's all the recent hubbub. Sounds like somebody has a lot of time on his hands. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah, and there will be uh, links to your website in the show notes for anybody that 
wants to check out any of that stuff, that's probably the easiest way to figure it out. So there yes. you go. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right, here we go. The classic questions. First one, what's your favorite boss pedal? Uh, you know, I have had the same boss DD3 that I bought like 1986 and I still use it to this day. There you go. Solid, solid. The DD3 actually gets brought up a lot in this. It's segment. great. Yeah, it's a great pedal. It's, you know, a lot of times I'll just use that. I have three different settings I use. And uh, for years, I would just use one delay pedal. I would just literally bend down and just go, blurt. Oh, there's my other sound when mm -hmm. I need it. And um, yeah, I love it. It's just there. easy. Perfect. The DD3. All right. Now, this is the heavier one. This is the one that kind of causes some, uh, well, some contention on the interwebs. Mm. Very controversial. Excellent. Yes. What is your favorite kind of pizza? Ooh, this is interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I will say that having had, I'm, you know what? I'm I'm not a food snob. I, I, that being said, I like I I know what I like, but the problem is I like everything. So okay, uh, if people talk about you know New York pizza, I'll say absolutely. If someone talks about you know Chicago stuff, they'll go absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, there's a couple different pizzas in town here that we go. And I, I like to go to this one that's kind of a, uh, it's called Y East Pizza, ladies and gentlemen, in beautiful Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, they make their own dough and it's like, they only make X amount of dough a week. So they're only open now. They used to be Thursday through Sunday until supplies ran out. Now it's Wednesday, Wednesday through Sunday, but if they run out of dough, you're done. And so, right. um, their crust is biblical. The, the, the outside crust gets, you know, it, it's like a stone fire. You know, they got one of those old Italian things that you you put the thing in and, yeah. and do the do. Um, but it is sublime. Not a ton of sauce. And they, they have this one particular pizza, which probably sounds like heresy to some, but it's called the Ring of Fire. Oh. And it has uh, bacon on it, mm. big strips of bacon. Mm -hmm. And we're not talking like, your garden variety bacon. We're talking this Newski's Wisconsin bacon of doom. And then sport peppers, a uh, thin thing of cheese, and then uh, the crust has got a little bit of honey on it. it, it oh, is, it, man. It, it is unbelievable. That sounds phenomenal. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's badass. The honey, the honey on the pizza thing, I thought was a little bit strange until I had it at Roberta's in New York City. And then I was like, oh, no. I was wrong. No, this works. This yeah, works. Yeah. This works. Not in a way that I would have expected, but I've become quite the fan. That sounds right up my alley in every single yeah, possible delightful. way. Delightful. I'm coming to Milwaukee. I'll be there. Come on now. A little bit. All right. That's great. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciated this chat. My pleasure. This was great, as I knew that it would be. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, for Greg, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. There you are, friends. There is another spicy episode for you in the can. And like I said at the top of the hour, there's more over on Patreon. So if you can support the show, you can either go to patreon.com slash ToneMob or just click subscribe in Apple Podcasts. Either way, it all comes back and helps keep this thing going, and I immensely appreciate it. And if you can't, as always, folks, please share this with a friend. Please tell somebody about it. That is how... We keep this thing on the rails and keep it going and keep getting interesting people like Greg. So please, please do that. Please share it if you can. 
I would really, really appreciate it. Okay, that's it. That's enough pluggery dues. Let me get out of here. I'll talk to you very, very soon. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com Stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.